with the 32nd pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast. I'm Fran Duffy, and we're back today to preview the opening weekend of the 2018 college football season. For the last three weeks, we've been going position by position and looking at some of the top names around the country. Well, the action finally begins in earnest this weekend with some great matchups across the college football landscape. At the top of this week's jam-packed show, we've got Draft Buzz, where I chat with NFL Draft insider Tony Pauline to give us the latest news heading into week one. The Senior Bowl watch list came out last week, so we'll see if there's anything noteworthy coming out after that. After Draft Buzz, we'll transition to Scouting Port, where this week I will review my notes on one of my top receivers that I've studied so far in this senior class. That's Tyree Brady from Marshall. I think this kid has a ton of ability, and I'll explain why in that segment. After that, we'll get to Mr. Relevant, where this week, Eagles defensive line coach Chris Wilson chimes in to talk about the transition that young defensive linemen make from college to the NFL. I always enjoy my chats with Coach Wilson, whose son, by the way, is a talented tight end out in UCLA, Caleb Wilson. Now, next up, we've got Scouting Report, where Ben Fennell makes his debut on the show as we talk about some of the top matchups around the country taking place in Week 1. Then we wrap things up on Draft Mailbag, where I'll take a question or two from you guys and answer them here on the show. We have got a ton going on this week, so let's get things going with the latest and greatest surrounding the 2019 NFL Draft with our buddy Tony Pauline. It's time for some Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my good buddy Tony Pauline from DraftAnalyst.com to give us the latest and greatest surrounding college football here on the opening weekend. Tony, uh, before we get to this weekend's matchups, last week the Senior Bowl watch list came out, and uh, this is an event that you and I go to every single year, every year late in January. Uh, Didn't go last year, obviously. We were a little bit busy. But uh, any major takeaways from the the watch list? Any guys that got skipped that weren't on the list? Uh, Any areas of strength or weakness in the class overall? the senior group what were your big takeaways from the announcement with the senior bowl watch list yeah you didn't go last year but i was there representing philadelphia eagles.com let's let's not forget that sure, but sure. uh you know it, you know it, it's still early in the process and there were a lot of sometimes strange or unfamiliar names on that list there were three players who i thought should have been listed <clears throat> that were not there the first one would be teddy veal the uh, wide receiver for right now from louisiana tech i watched him for two years at tulane i was impressed he transferred from Tulane to uh, Louisiana Tech, set out 2016, returned last year, had 74 receptions for 950 yards and seven touchdowns, wasn't graded by scouts. I think he's the type of guy that could be a fifth receiver, return specialist at the next level. I'm surprised because I believe he's got NFL talent, plus you know a little bit of that hometown flavor, played at Tulane, now plays for Louisiana Tech. They like to bring those guys into the senior bowl. I thought he should have been on the list, as with Malcolm Jenkins. I'm sorry, Malcolm Williams, the receiver return specialist from Coastal Carolina. He got a six-round grade from scouts. He had 43 receptions last year for uh, an average of 18.4 yards per catch. So that tells you something about his game-breaking ability, which he translates over to the return game. And finally, tight end Kendall Blanton of Missouri, a guy who I've watched for the past two years. He was given a last-round grade by scouts, six foot six. 265 pounds, plays in the 4-7. He's 4-7. He's kind of out of place in that Missouri offense. Scouts know about him. He's a guy who's got a great amount of upside as a blocker and a pass catcher. Basically looks like a basketball player on the football field. 
you know, with the weakness at the tight end uh, position in this year's senior class, I was very surprised that uh, Blanton was not on the list. All right, so Tony, the, the, you mentioned three guys that you were surprised that weren't on the list. Was there anybody that you were kind of pleased to see be on the list? Yeah, absolutely. Daniel Cooney from the University of San Diego. Not San Diego State, but University of San Diego. You know, a little background. The past two years when I was uh, scouting Ross Dwelly, the tight end from the University of San Diego, who's now with the San Francisco 49ers, signed as an undrafted free agent uh, after April's draft, Every time I watched Ross Dwelly, I watched this massive left tackle who was annihilating people on the line of scrimmage, was holding his own in pass protection. It was Daniel Cooney, six, five, six eight and a half, three hundred twelve pounds, moves relatively well. You know, I, I'd hope, I, I hope he gets an, the invitation to the Senior Bowl. He definitely has next level talent, as we've seen in the past with the Senior Bowl with guys like Ali Marpet. Last year, Anthony Parker of North Carolina A and T. The Senior Bowl has been the breeding ground for small school offensive linemen. I think it'd be a great place for a guy like Daniel Cooney of University of San Diego to showcase his next-level ability. So, Tony, with the the season getting underway this weekend, which schools do you view? You know, for the fans that are that are home and they're watching and they say, "Oh, you know, there's a couple games on. Who should I be watching?" What schools do you view as having the most NFL talent as we sit here today? Well, it's got to be the Clemson Tigers, first and foremost. I don't think anybody comes close to them. You know, just a little revisionist history. Back in the, uh, in the 90s and, t- and the two th- early 2000s, when Florida State and Miami Hurricanes were consistently putting three, four, five players in the first round, you know, you would hear commentators, you would even hear NFL people say, the Florida State defense is good enough to play in the NFL. The Miami Hurricane defense is good enough to play in the NFL. Well, you know what? The Clemson Tiger defense is good enough to play in the NFL. And we talk about that defensive line all the time. They've got four potential first-rounders on that defensive line. Christian Wilkins, Cleveland Farrell, Dexter Lawrence, and Austin Bryant. They also have a fifth player in Albert Huggins who would start for most teams in the country, but he can barely see the field because of the depth of talent that Clemson has on a defensive line. He's a third, fourth-round pick, and he's a guy that, if you watch the film, especially the Florida State film, when he's on the field, he takes over the game. So you got five players up front. you got a cornerback by the name of Trayvon, Miller, uh, Trayvon Mullen, who's a third-year junior, who I think could be a first-rounder. He's definitely a top-45 pick. Really improved as the season went on last year. Isaiah Simmons, the redshirt sophomore, a safety. Guy's got great upside. He's an opposing-looking figure at the safety position. And Trey Lamar, a junior linebacker, third-round pick. So right there, you're talking about eight guys, nine guys, who are top 100 picks just on the Clemson defense alone. Then comes Ohio State. Ohio State always offers a lot of players to the NFL draft primarily on defense, and we're going to see that again next year. Nick Bose is going to be a very early pick, probably a top-five selection. I still like Draymond Jones, the defensive tackle. Did not have a good year in 2017, made the proper choice by going back to school. But when he's on the top of his game, even during the 2017 season, he's, he looks like first-round talent. He's a guy who can take over games from that defensive tackle spot, complain a variety of schemes. they got Jordan Fuller, an up-and-coming junior safety They've had a lot of good defensive backs come out of that Ohio State Buckeye system into the NFL. I think Fuller's the next one. He's got first-round potential. And then they've got four receivers to keep an eye on. Victor uh, Benijvian, I know I, I, I massacred his last name, Victor Benijvian, Paris Campbell, K.J. Hill, and Austin Mack. Those guys are all top potential top 100 picks. 
So I think Ohio State's going to be right up there. I, I think Mississippi's a little bit underrated. You got two first-round picks from the underclassmen ranks, Greg Little, the offensive tackle, who I think will be the first tackle drafted if he enters the draft, which I expect him to. And the much-heralded A.J. Brown, the big game-changing, game-controlling receiver, who, again, I think is a top 32 selection. Tony, uh, conspicuously absent from that list, from that trio of schools, the the defending national champs. uh, No love for the Crimson Tide? I think the Tide is going to be a little bit down this year. They're still going to have plenty of talent, but unlike past years, they're not going to have as many first-round picks. When I look back, the past nine drafts, there's only been two instances where Alabama only had a single player selected in round one. It's usually three or four guys. The way we stand today, the only surefire first-round pick I see on the uh, Crimson Tide depth chart is Raekwon Davis, uh, the third-year junior, who I think will enter the draft and will be a top-12 pick. Damian Harris, the running back, could be a late first-rounder. Isaiah Bucks, the defensive end, could be a late first-rounder. They lost Terrell Lewis uh, to a knee injury. I think he had top 45 potential. And then after that, you know, Christian Miller's a solid player. He's maybe a third-round pick. A lot of people like Jonah Williams, the offensive lineman. Is he a tackle? Is he a guard? Where does he fit in the draft? But when you look at the Alabama roster, especially the depth chart, and you project it to the next level, there's a lot of talent there. I just don't think like past years there's a lot of first-round talent, and it really doesn't compare to what we see on the Clemson depth chart. Yeah, that's that's going to be very interesting just to watch, uh, you know, how this team looks. You mentioned Terrell Lewis, and he was a guy, you know, going back on my film study over the course of the summer, I was really, really high on him. And then just to see that he was out for the season with a torn ACL a few weeks ago, just uh, heartbreaking to see. And I, I mentioned the film study. Uh, I was going through my film study on, on Maryland, the Terrapins, and watched the two senior tackles. Derwin Gray is the left tackle. Damian Prince is the right tackle. I was really impressed with Derwin Gray. Uh, you know, good combination of size, athleticism, yeah, usage of hands. Uh, he impressed me in the run game and the pass game. What have you heard about him? And then also Prince, but what have you heard about Derwin Gray, Gray and how he, you think he translates to the NFL? Yeah, a lot of scouts feel he's a third-round pick or stamped him with a third, uh, as a third-round prospect right now. That could move up or down. You know, like you said, he's got tremendous size, six foot five, three hundred thirty-four pounds. For the most part, fundamentally sound, makes good use of his angles. I think the question or, or, or the concerns with Duran Gray is: Is he too big to play left tackle? Is he a little bit slow of foot, you know, for that left tackle spot? Uh, is he going to struggle against uh, the speed rushers or, or being able to pick up the blitzes at the next level? Doesn't have the great footwork. Doesn't have great blocking range. So the thing is, is if he can't play left tackle and he's solely a, a right tackle prospect, you pigeon him, you pigeon home for the right tackle. You know, that's kind of kind of depresses draft stock, especially in the day and age where you want that versatility. Where you know your right tackles are as athletic, have as good footwork, has this, have the same blocking range and the ability to get off the edge, and, and basically in pass protection as your left tackles do on many teams. I just don't know that Darrell Gray has that ability, which I think could depress his draft stock. We'll see. I mean, Darrell Gray, we talked about the senior bowl before. Uh, that's a situation where if Greg goes to the senior bowl, and I'm sure he'll get an invite unless there's a, gosh forbid, there's an injury. You know, in those one-on-ones against the smaller speed rushers, uh, can he pick up the blitz? That's a place for him to potentially make money and say, hey, you know what, guys like Tony Pauline are wrong. I, in fact, can play left tackle. 
I love that's one of my favorite things to say is you know guys like Tony Pauline are, are wrong. Uh, let me move on now to another guy that I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, and that's Virginia safety Juan Thornhill. Eagles fans are really really excited about what are the, what are the young safeties in college football? You know you have Malcolm Jenkins and Rodney McLeod, one of the best senior or one of the best tandems in the NFL at the safety position, but both of them are over thirty, so uh, are approaching thirty. So what is coming up in the college ranks? Juan Thornhill is a guy that, you know, to me, Tony, watching him, he's got cornerback background. He kind of reminds me of a, a former, we were talking about Alabama earlier, former Alabama safety Eddie Jackson, who was a fourth-round pick and has turned into a nice starter for the Chicago Bears at free safety. What are you hearing about Juan Thornhill? Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned Jackson because like uh, Jackson, Thornhill presently is graded as a fourth-rounder or was stamped as a fourth-round prospect by most scouts as we go into the season. I graded him more as a fifth-rounder. Now, a little background on Thornhill. When I watched him in 2016, everyone was talking about Quinn Balding, the, the more heralded, the more highlighted safety from Virginia. But it was Thornhill who on film in 2016 really stood out to me, the aggressiveness, the physical play, really the heads-up play, stuffing the run and playing, uh, making plays when the ball is in the air. 2017, he moved over to cornerback. I think he struggled, struggled in the sense that he really could not make plays with his back to the ball. His back to the ball did a lot of face guarding. Did not get his head back around. Really did not show a lot of cornerback skills. But still, he's got the size. He has the experience. He has both the physical uh, nature to his game and the instincts. And I think you can push him inside and use him as potentially a traditional uh, strong safety or, or in a zone type system where he doesn't have to cover a lot of area in center field. Uh, so I do like Thornhill as a middle round pick. I don't know, uh, you know, if you watch him this year, uh, if you watch the Cavaliers, you watch him and he struggles at cornerback. Remember, he's more of a safety. That was his original spot, and that's where I project him anyway to play at the next level. I know a lot of scouts think he can play cornerback. I've got a little, uh, I've got an issue with that. I don't think he can. But you know, even if you get past Thornhill, if the Eagles are looking for safety next year in the 2019 draft, I think there's going to be a lot of talent there. We talked about Jordan Fuller of Ohio State. I happen to like a kid out of North Carolina by the name of Miles Dorn. I think he's second-round talent. A lot of people don't talk about him. Very explosive. Can go sideline to sideline. Miami of Florida, the Miami Hurricanes have a kid by the name of Jaquan Johnson, who scouts think can go in the first round. A lot of good underclassmen. I mentioned Isaiah Simmons from Clemson. I happen to be a big fan of J.R. Reed from Georgia, who I think is a second-round pick. You know, you, you get into the late part of day two, Jonathan Abram of Mississippi State, the lone senior. A lot of scouts feel he's the best senior safety in the nation. Uh, I think he's a bit limited in his speed and ability to go sideline to sideline, but he's going to play somewhere at the next level. Tony, we've heard a lot uh, about these matchups this weekend, opening weekend of college football. It's a, it's a pretty loaded slate. I mean, we've got Miami LSU on, on Sunday night. We've got Washington-Auburn Saturday. We've got Alabama-Louisville. We've got Michigan-Notre Dame. I mean, this is, a, this is a good starting week in college football. Which game has you the most excited and why? Yeah, I mean, I, I like the Washington-Auburn game. It's a clash of, of conferences. But I, I think the Michigan-Notre Dame game, really could set the tempo for both teams for the rest of the season. I mean, from a, 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 a college purist, a, a traditionalist of college football, it, it's a classic matchup a little bit earlier in the season than it usually takes place. Uh, it, it's a type of game where I think Michigan's expected to win, but if Notre Dame can stay close or even pull the upset, I think it'll set the tone for their season. A lot's expected from Michigan. And when you look at it from an on-the-field uh, perspective, 
uh, one-on-one matchups, uh, there's a lot to watch there. I mean, how is Notre Dame going to stop Rashawn Gary? To me, he is the real deal. He is a top-ten pick. He is a guy who's a tremendous pass rusher, an outstanding athlete, decent size, some growth potential. Notre Dame, the, the entire left side of their offensive line was drafted in, what, the first ten picks of the, uh, of the event last April? How do you stop Rashawn Gary? <clears throat> it's Shea Patterson's debut for the Michigan Wolverines as he's going to be starting uh, for Michigan in this game. You know, how does he do? Where is he going to go in the draft? You, you look at him, he's a smaller but mobile quarterback with a big arm, accurate, gets it between the ears. Reminds me a lot of Baker Mayfield. I mean, I like the, my quarterbacks to be a little bit bigger, but as we saw at Mayfield, a guy like Patterson, if he plays well, he's going he's gonna to move up high on people's draft list if he decides after the draft. You've you got to see how Shea Patterson doing. Trying to stop Shea Patterson is going to be Julian Love of Notre Dame, a guy we spoke about a week ago. Someone who is expected to enter the draft is going to be one of the top five cornerbacks, I believe, as we move towards the 2019 draft. Uh, he's going to be he's going to be called upon to shut down Shea Patterson and shut down the Michigan receivers. One of the better one-on-one matchups is a player we talked about again in, in the past on this podcast, Elise Mack, the tight end from Notre Dame. He's going to be going up against Kalik Hudson of Notre, of uh, Michigan, a safety outside linebacker hybrid in, in the tradition or in the spirit of Jabril, Jabril Peppers. You talk to Michigan coaches, they tell you they will say that Hudson is their best pro prospect after Rashawn Gary. That's how highly they think of this guy. He's fast. He's explosive. He's a hard hitter. Can he cover Elise Mack down the field? What are his ball skills like? And, you know, is Elise Mack ready to take the next step, I mean, in his game? Here's a guy who, when he's healthy, he's very effective on the field. He's a playmaker, but he hasn't been consistent on the field. I think it'll be a statement game for both, or could be a statement game for both Elise Mack and Hudson of Michigan, and it could be a tempo setter for both teams as we move into the 2018 season. Tony, last question as always. We're all, we're always going to hit on a, a mock draft that was published recently, and and who that expert, uh, who that writer has the Eagles selecting. And this week, we're going to look at Matt Miller from Bleacher Report, who has the Eagles selecting David Sills, the wide receiver from West Virginia, thirty first overall. Matt, I'm not going to crush you about uh, thirty, not having the thirty second pick, but Matt Miller, David Sills, first round. What are your thoughts on David Sills, the former West Virginia or current wide West Virginia wide receiver, uh, late first round range? Yeah, he's a very good college receiver, but but I struggle to see uh, Sills not only not be a first-round pick, I don't think he's going to be a top 100 pick. I mean, he comes out of that West Virginia system, which is a wide-open system. It's not a real receiver-disciplined system where they've got to run good routes. Uh, uh, Sills is is very productive. He's got decent hands, but he's got average speed. He's more of a 4-6 type of receiver. And we see those college receivers who, got, who have a size advantage, who are game controllers, guys like Alan Lazard, you know, drop through the draft boards. And I think that could be a situation for Sills, who reportedly has very short arms and small hands. I've been told that his hands measure under nine inches, which is going to be a major red flag. So Sills, terrific college receiver. I project him as the number five wideout at the uh, next level. But guys who project as number five wideouts who can't run in the four fours, who've got short arms and small hands, are usually late round picks. They don't go in the first frame. Yeah, I know talking with Shelton Gibson, a current Eagles wide receiver from West Virginia, he actually lined up at the same spot that David Sills does now as that far left receiver in that offense for West Virginia. 
it's a learning curve coming from that system. You're only running routes from one part of the field. And with Shelton's case, it was all goes and screens. And, you know, every once in a while it would be like a deep over. You get a post, but not a full route tree compared to what he saw here in the NFL. So it was definitely a bit of a learning curve. We'll see if David Sills has that same kind of uh, situation a year from now at this point. But, Tony, appreciate the time as always. We will talk to you next week here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. Thanks for having me. Great stuff from Tony. You can follow on Twitter at Tony Pauline. And by now, you know, you can always follow me on Twitter at FDuffy3. That's where I post all the stuff I'm working on over at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. So things like the Eagle Eye in the Sky articles, the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, our Saturday scouting column, Eagles game plan, whatever X's and O's content you're looking for, that'll be there as well as on PhiladelphiaEagles.com or the Eagles mobile app. All right, let's keep things rolling here. I teased earlier that I would break down Marshall wide receiver Tyree Brady, one of the best senior receivers in the country at least based off who i've studied so far he's the subject this week in our scouting report dim those lights we're headed to the film room for the scouting report all right so tyree brady 6'3 201 pounds he spent his first two seasons playing for the miami hurricanes but transferred out and has been with the thundering herd now for two seasons this will be his third year and this is a talented football player just a one-year starter going into his second year as a starter for Doc Holliday in that shotgun spread offense. He lined up primarily at X receiver with some reps at Z and in the slot. So he's got a little bit of position versatility. Tall with long arms, athletic frame, better speed than expected for a big receiver. And that's honestly how he first stood out to me a year ago while I was studying his quarterback, Chase Litton, who's now a backup with Andy Reid in Kansas City. Brady flashed to me in that NC State game because of his size and speed to run away from people at that size, and he was dominant at the catch point in that game. I think he had like 11 catches against the Wolfpack. Shows really good flashes of being crisp at the top of his stem, displays good sideline awareness to get one foot down inbound, made some really tough catches uh, last year as a junior. This is a jump ball threat. He's big. He's strong enough to outmuscle defenders at the catch point. He uses his body well to box out defenders on his back, tracks the deep ball really well, and he's able to adjust to the ball mid-flight. He's a very confident hands catcher, soft hands to make things look easy, snatching the ball out of the air, capable of running away from safeties in space. Not numerous times I saw him after the catch uh, over the course of his junior year, and he's not afraid to mix it up with defenders on the perimeter as a blocker either. Now, from a negative standpoint, Talked about that surprising speed in the open field. Well, it's not in the first 5, 10 yards. He's not an explosive guy out of the blocks. There's not a ton of juice or suddenness to him very early. It's more of a build-up speed guy. Uh, False steps at times uh, with his front foot on his releases against off cover. Just a little bit of a pet peeve of mine. When a physical corner locks him up, Early in press coverage, he struggles to shake free. So he can get a little bit better with his hands early in the down. He needs a lot of overall improvement with his stem work. Very inconsistent route runner. At times, he looks fairly crisp, like I mentioned earlier. But on comebacks and curl routes, he tips his hands way too easily, and he looks sloppy at the top of the break. Sometimes he'll just stop stop and turn his head around way too quickly, tip off the defender. Flashes are there as a blocker as well, but he's just not consistently assignment sound. So overall... This is a big kid, surprising speed, outstanding hands, very natural ball skills. He needs to clean things up as a route runner and can be sharper with his releases, but he can absolutely be a starting receiver in the NFL on the outside. I actually gave him a starting grade. I don't want to go overboard, but I think that there are some comparisons to a guy like Alshon Jeffrey, just with his size and his ability to go up and win at the catch point. So there's a lot to like about Tyree Brady. I'm excited to follow him here as the season unfolds this fall, but uh, it's going to be very, very interesting for that senior receiver. All right, let's 
keep things rolling here. I was happy to be joined by Eagles defensive line coach Chris Wilson this week on Mr. Relevant to talk about the transition from college to the NFL for defensive linemen. Let's get to that chat right now. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Coach, I wanted to ask you about the, the transition for guys going from college to the NFL. Where do you see, usually and obviously every guy is kind of an individual case, but uh, overall, where do you think the biggest kind of learning curve is for those guys coming into the league? Well, the first thing is just the speed of the actual game. Um, there's such a big jump coming from the from college to the NFL. And then uh, just just the, the, the length of the, how long it is. That's a long season. You're going to play 20 games against some of the best athletes in the world. So that, those are the two things that really stand out more than anything, the speed of the game and then just the longevity of making that transition. Because a lot of times we're in, we're in game 13, 14, and these guys have been done for a couple of weeks in college. So that's the biggest transition that I've noticed. It's interesting because I was going to ask you about the, the stamina of the game. And really you look at the college level and you'll see some of these guys play, you know, 75, 80, 85 snaps in a game. That's not realistic, especially for a team like the Eagles. There's so much rotation. How do you kind of take that into account when you're projecting? Because some guys, you may see them. Because I, I, I remember, uh, what was the kid? The Kawan Short from the Carolina. When he was at Purdue, everybody knocked him. Oh, you know, he takes plays off. He's playing 90 plays in the game in the Big Ten. Then he goes to Carolina. He's playing 55 plays. Now he's a Pro Bowl player. How hard is that to kind of project moving forward? Well, I... Not only is it hard for D linemen, because it's not like you're just running without anybody pushing you. Every snap, you're moving people. So anytime you're moving anywhere from 300 to 600 pounds a snap, it takes a toll on you. So not only is it just the number of snaps, it's just the physicality of those snaps. So when you can, when you can have that rotation, it allows guys to play with maximum effort. They don't have to save anything. And I think that's, that's, that's the biggest thing for a lot of guys. They get to play max out, especially, you know, if you got a solid rotation in, 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 in-house. So that's the biggest thing. I talk a lot with, uh, with our listeners about having a pass rush plan as a defensive lineman and knowing what you have to do to attack an offensive lineman. What's the kind of the biggest thing, if you have to set it like a, a three-step plan for, for a defensive lineman to really learn a, a proper pass rush plan, what really goes into that? Well, a lot of it started with number one is understanding protections. And then once you understand protection, it, it, it goes to personnel. And then finally, and I always think the last big caveat of that deal is who's your quarterback? Is this guy a scrambler? Is this guy a right-handed or left-handed passer? Knowing those subtle nuances. But the number one thing I always tell guys, we got to understand protections and how they're going to block you by down and distance. Encompass that by who's your personnel? How does this guy set you? What does he look for? And then last but not least, who's the guy in the backfield? Is he, is he, Aaron, is he Aaron Rodgers? Is the ball out so quickly that maybe you have to change your rush plan a little bit? So those things are important when we, when we, go, when we go in week to week. Interesting stuff there from Chris Wilson. Hopefully we can get him back on the show again very soon. Now, before we transition to our next segment, you guys know how much I love it when you tweet out the show or you post about it on Facebook. It's great support. I love you all for it. But what we love most on here is when you take a minute and you head over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, give us a rating or leave us a comment. I wanted to give some love to Nikki who went on Apple Podcasts, gave us that five-star rating, commented saying how much they love the podcast. So thanks to Nikki with multiple Ys and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, it's about that time. For the first time ever, let's welcome Ben Fennell into the Journey of the Draft podcast and look at some of the biggest matchups to watch this weekend. 
It's time for Saturday Scouting. Time to welcome in my friend Ben Fennell, who you can follow on Twitter at Ben Fennell underscore NFL. That's two N's, two L's. Let's get things started, Ben. Each week, we're going to be looking at some of the best matchups to watch in college football. But before we get going this week, for those listeners that don't know you yet, give us a quick rundown of what you do during the year surrounding college football and the draft. Yeah, so with college football, I work with the ESPN College Football. I get sent out to a game each weekend, um, primarily with the crew of Dave Pash, Greg McElroy, Tom Luganbill, one of the finer announcing crews in any uh, sport or broadcast crew. No question. Um, but I uh, do X's and O's in the truck. So anytime you see in-game replay packages where something in the game is broken down with graphics, circles, arrows, slow down, rewind, spot shadowed, more of analytical replays to break down the game or trends or things that we saw, that's what I'm, uh, I'm doing in the truck, and I'm serving as eyes and ears for Greg McElroy, my analyst. And we just use each other and uh, try to feed off each other's knowledge of the game as we're watching it. So then, and then once the season ends... Then you really kind of dive into it, and really from an NFL draft standpoint, talk about what you do uh, during the offseason. Exactly. Right when the season ends, I hop over to NFL Films, and I serve as Mike Mayock's uh, lead researcher for all his offseason events, the Senior Bowl, the Combine, the Draft. And I'm in charge of putting together all of his research notes, package, uh, packages, packets, information, all the prospects, and all the video uh, breakdowns of the players at all the events he attends. So each week you head out to at least one college town. This week, though, we've got more than one. Where are you going this week? Tell us, uh, I guess, where, where are the two stops Yeah, this week? super exciting opening weekend. I'm double dipping. I'm going to do my game, Oregon State at Ohio State, kicking off the opening weekend of college football, 12 noon on ABC. And then I'm going to hop over to Dallas for a Sunday night match of LSU-Miami and Jerry World, 7.30 on ABC, a rare college football Sunday night game. But what a matchup, LSU-Miami. Who's got the call in that game? And that's going to be Sean McDonough, Todd Blackledge, and Holly Rowe. Nice. Okay. So Sean McDonough making the return back to college football. Exactly. From yep. Monday Night Football. So that'll be interesting. Um, let's start with Ohio State or Oregon State. And Look, obviously the, the large amount of talent really is more towards the Buckeyes. We know. And, and there's all kinds of things being talked about with Ohio State. But let's, let's focus in on football. And let's, uh, let's talk some of, some of these prospects. And uh, really, I guess the big names really start up front for on defense. You've got Nick Bosa, uh, Draymond Jones, but there are a couple guys I know that both excite us. But let, let's let's start with Bosa and Draymond Jones uh, for now. Yeah, Nick Bosa is probably the number one prospect on the Ohio State team. Uh, he's going to be a top ten pick in this year's NFL draft. He's, if he declares, if he declares, yeah, yes, sure. he's, yep, he's still an underclassman. A lot of people are comparing him with his brother. Yep. Obviously, they're spitting images, have the same hair, same size. They both play very similarly. They have deliberate hand usage, can gain ground with hand usage and threaten to tackle's depth as well. A great initial stab, can set an edge and play very physical. I think Joey had a little bit more twitch and play strength at this point in his career, where they're both very similar and productive players. Nick doesn't really have that elite first step or quickness. So we're looking to see if he can develop a, a little bit more explosion off the ball this year. So then let's talk about uh, the, some of the skill players because you know they, one of the I would say one of the bigger names and Tony brought this up. Uh, I guess it was what now last week on the Journey to the Draft podcast when I asked him about some sleeper receivers and he brought up uh, Paris Campbell from Ohio State. Clearly one of the fastest men in college football. I mean, the guy is super super explosive, uh, threat to score anytime he touches the football. What have you seen from him, and what are you expecting to see? Is this the first time you've seen him in person? You, you had an Ohio State game last year, right? Yes, I did. I, I saw him in person a couple times last year. Uh, 
what scouts are trying to figure out is this an athlete playing football? Right. Because he's a little raw in the nuances of playing receiver, his route running, his releases. He did have 18 plays of 20-plus yards last year, but it's in concepts where you just want to get him the ball. If you could just hand him the ball, you probably would. Yep. A lot of bubbles, a lot of jets, double moves, get him down the field. Some, some insane workout numbers this offseason, a 40-inch vertical, an 11-3 broad, running 10-400 meters. Stupid. The guy is an absolute freak show mm-hmm. athlete. But if he wants to really excel at the next level, you can't just be a gadgety player. You have mm. to work on the nuances and really improve and refine his route running. Yeah, and he's got a, he's working in a new quarterback. Obviously, JT Barrett gone from Ohio State. You've got uh, Dwayne Haskins, it looks like, will be the new quarterback there. So that'll be interesting uh, from that standpoint. Ohio State, I know, has a couple of other receivers as well uh, in that senior class. Benjamin Victor, I know, is one name you had brought up. But let's talk about uh, that offensive line because – you know they they lose a couple of names from last year. You lose Jamarco Jones. Uh, you lose Billy Price inside at center. But there are a couple of names that are coming back. And you know the big name is it seems to be Isaiah Prince, the the senior right senior to be that right tackle. Nice player. I like Isaiah Prince from what I've seen. I've been I really like Michael Jordan, who was the left guard last year. He's a big boy. He was I think he was first team All Big Ten a year ago. Uh, to me, he had the highest upside of the guy that I the guys that I had studied up front for them. What are your thoughts on those two, and what are you hearing from uh, about those two out of Columbus right now? Yeah, Isaiah Prince, he, I mean, he's prototypical size, 6'7", 3'10", has been holding down that right tackle spot for a number of years now. They just haven't seen that growth and development over the past couple of years. He's a solid player, but he just hasn't taken that next step in becoming an elite tackle with his fundamentals and technique. Michael Jordan is outstanding. He looks the part for a tackle and has been slowly working his way back inside. Yeah. A lot like the way the Pounties kind of kicked around at Florida. If you're the most talented and most athletic and they have a need, whether it's at guard or even there's been some flashes of Michael Jordan playing center in some 11-on-11 practices this summer. That's interesting. If, if that's where they need him to plug it, he's the most talented, he's the most versatile, and you know he's really showing what he can do to help an offensive line with experience at tackle, guard, and potentially playing center, even though he is uh, about 6'6", 315 pounds. He would definitely be oversized for the center spot, and they've shown the ability – uh, to transition to those new centers. Billy Price was a starter at guard, a three-year starter at guard, before shifting to center last year after they lost Pat Elfline. So this will be the third center in three years if they were to change over uh, to Michael Jordan. Regardless, new center there for Ohio State. Uh, other side of the ball, uh, other sideline, I should say, Oregon State. Big names, anyone that you're worried about from, a, from an NFL draft standpoint? Who are the names you're going to be watching when you go in on, uh, on Sunday? Yeah, Sunday? I don't think Oregon State's blowing anybody away right now. It's a bit of a change of culture there. you got a new head coach, Jonathan Smith, coming over from the University of Washington where he was the offensive coordinator. So yeah. I didn't spend too much time in studying the tape and the scheme. I watched their spring game. They're going to try to work in some more up-tempo stuff. They had a couple funny instances this offseason accidentally sending some recruiting information to players on other teams. <laughs> they had sent a recruiting packet to some players on the University of Hawaii. So they're working it's out some, be some kind of violation. Yeah, mm-hmm. recruiting-wise and getting the right guys in there. Uh, the cream of the crop as far as the prospects for the NFL, Artavis Pierce is a really nice junior running back from Florida. He was stuck behind Ryan Nall last year, so he's looking to get a few more touches. There's a really interesting tight end. He's 6'4", 242, redshirt junior. He led the team in catches and yards last year. He blocks really well. I'm going to struggle with his name here. It's Noah Toyagi, if I'm right. not mistaken. All right, I'll take I'll, This I'll is take also it. a very interesting time in the season in that we're kind of unveiling some names for the first time in the national spotlight. Sure. So we haven't heard them in national conversations. So 
we may butcher a name or two here and there. <laughs> and, Until and I, we hear Dave Pash pronounce it correctly exa- on the broadcast. Exactly, yeah. and uh, that's kind of the risk of getting into some of these names before uh, they're, they're mainstream. So when you go to these games, real quickly before we transition to the second game, what are you hoping to see? I guess like you're, you're out on the field, you get to spend some time before the game, um, not just on Saturday, but also Friday. What are you hoping to see from these guys in person? And then, obviously, we're looking to see them on the field, you know, make plays. But in person, what are you hoping to see when you get them up close? Yeah, it's a really unique perspective to be able to watch these guys in person, whether it's at practice or to be able to pick the brain of uh, coaches, assistant coaches in production meetings, and then watching them warm up. And there's a lot of unique perspectives of aesthetics and how do they warm up? How do they stretch? How seriously do they take their craft? How do they respond to teammates? Are they leaders? Are they getting other guys fired up? Are they running from station to station or walking? The, those little details of practice where you just represent not even who you are as a player, but who you are as a person. Yep. You, the way your, your confidence, your professionalism, your maturity. And I just like to see the way players hold themselves at practice and who emerges as a leader, who's vocal, who's a little bit more passive, who mm-hmm. wants to set by example, who's flocking to coaching right away, body language, sulking. It's all the things that we're not really looking at on tape. Yeah. But the things that you can get away while seeing them in person, it's, it's just a really unique perspective. And I'm fortunate to be able to go to these games and talk to coaches and see some of these players close up. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I think we're going to be having some of our uh, area scouts on the show over the course of the fall. And I think they're going to be looking for some similar things. So I'm excited to see how those kind of uh, compare to each other. Let's get to the second game uh, they've got on Sunday, LSU-Miami. Another game with a lot of prospects, uh, and it's going to be very, very, very interesting. A lot of turnover, as always, at LSU. LSU always puts like double-digit guys into the draft. Uh, so we've got some, other, some big names coming back and some other guys trying to emerge. Who's the number one guy you're most excited to see with the, uh, the Bayou Bengals? Down at LSU, I'm really excited to look at this corner, Greedy Williams. Yeah. I mean, this I guy looks you. like he was made in a press corner Petri dish. He just has long arms. He's yep. fast. He's twitchy. He's got great ball skills. The concern from scouts right now is, is he too naturally gifted? Mm. Is he relying on his natural tools too much? You can see in some games he almost gets bored. He's a little lazy at times. The top of routes, finding the ball downfield, his tackling effort. This guy is an absolute freak show. He's fast. He has great feet. He's going to be an excellent press corner in the NFL. You just want to see him develop his game with the details, the technique, the fundamentals. He has outstanding ball skills. He has outstanding speed. He doesn't need to improve that. It's all the fundamentals in his footwork, his jamming, finding the ball downfield. Can he improve in off coverage? He's a great click and close corner. Mm. you got to be a little tougher. you got to be able to tackle out there. We only get 11. So you just want to see his game develop a little bit more. Play personality matters to me, I think, more at corner than any other position. Like We all talk about, look, you, you want to cover corner. He doesn't need to be a great tackler. I get it. But you need to be like really competitive and fiery, and like you need to be that kind of personality. That's why we love, we both love Jalen Mills. And uh, honestly, it was one of the things that, like, the biggest red flag for me. And I don't, I'm not comparing Greedy Williams to this guy, but the biggest red flag for me with Justin Gilbert at Oklahoma State was that exactly what you just said. He relied on his physical tools, didn't have any of the urgency, the competitiveness, like any of those juices going. Anytime I watched him on film, like that just didn't show up. And I'm not saying that that's why I see in Greedy Williams, but. You, that's what you want to be able to see. You want to be able to see him show that competitiveness. No question. And his season last year, extremely productive, got his hands on a lot of footballs, a lot of interceptions. I felt like his body type and body of work represented 
uh, excuse me, Florida State cornerback Tavares McFadden from two yeah, years ago. Yep. Had tons of interceptions, played the ball very well down the field, but a lot of discipline and technique issues. Looks the part. Huge corner, long corner, but really skidded and fell uh, in, the, in the eyes of NFL scouts in as a draft prospect because of his technique, discipline, fundamentals. This time last year, he was a first-round pick, and like everybody's too early mock drafts, he went undrafted. No question. If you watched the tape two years ago, you would have thought he'd be a top-ten yeah. pick. Didn't develop, didn't improve his game that next season, and really fell in the draft. So let's go to a guy who I feel like is the complete opposite of Greedy Williams in Foster Moreau. Like, Foster Moreau, is the tight, he's a senior tight end for LSU, the athletic tools are not there to be like this mismatch pass, passing uh, weapon, but the guy is like all grit, all effort, all nasty. Like I, as a blocker, everything that you and I could have hoped for when we watched him. You know, sometimes those players with physical limitations are the ones that look better on tape. They know they have to work hard. They yep. have to practice hard. They have to execute proper technique and fundamentals because they don't have the physical tools to make up for that. They don't have the speed or the strength or the quickness to to play without fundamentals or technique. So, like you were saying, Foster Moreau, that's just a gritty tight end who loves to put his face into uh, edge rushers and uh, outside linebackers in the run game, will deliver a nice pop and run his feet. He's not going to wow you in any part of his game. He's not blowing people off the ball. He's not running past people in his routes. He's not particularly athletic. He's just a really nice, well-rounded tight end. So Moreau is going to get matched up at times with these two senior safeties from Miami. And we'll see him against these junior linebackers as well. But let's talk about the two senior safeties. And the safeties are Jaquan Johnson and Sheldrick Redwine. Uh, had a chance to study both. Both of them are going to be seniors. What I love, too, these guys are both seniors together, same class. They were high school teammates together in the same secondary as well. So they've really come up together uh, playing alongside each other. Jaquan Johnson is the big name. Potential first or second round pick, very small, very undersized. And my question is, is is he dynamic enough of an athlete to overcome his lack of size? Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they match up together. Again, I don't expect it to be, you know, Morrow is not going to catch eight balls for 100 yards and a touchdown in this game. That's not going to be his stat line. But I think it's an interesting kind of one-on-one matchup to keep an eye on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we watched tape of Jaquan Johnson last week, and we didn't come away too impressed. I know he has a first-round grade among scouts right now. A little bit undersized, kind of a spark plug safety, yes. a little bit like a Tyron Matthew. Wants to play the alleys and come down into the box. Has good ball skills. I thought he was a little bit reckless at times in his tackling. He's a little undersized. We could bounce off blockers. I'm worried about his contact balance. The thing that I, after watching his bowl game against Wisconsin, I think that's the game that's really resonating with scouts right mm-hmm. now. That was his best game of the season against a powerful, uh, prolific run game of Wisconsin Badgers and that offensive line and Jonathan Taylor. I thought he made a bunch of really good plays in the alley, a bunch of really good balls uh, down the field from quarterback Alex Hornerbook that he was able to get his hands on. I think that's the game that kind of left the impression heading into the offseason. And once the scouts get their preseason grades in, I think that's the game that they're kind of clinging to. And if you really like him, like if you really like Jaquan Johnson, like you're hoping he becomes like, and again, this is a lofty comparison, you're hoping he becomes Bob Sanders, like that kind of undersized, fearless, like downhill guy. Um, not that he can't play in space, but that's kind of what you're hoping for. Uh, next to him, Sheldrick Redwine, we won't spend too much time on him. I, th- he's, I think he's got some, some range in the, in the post. I think he can play sideline to sideline. Instincts and man coverage, big, big concern. That was the big question. Yeah, exactly, and that's what scouts are going to look for, if you're, you're safety that can cover, and I think he really struggled. He's more of a prototypical safety than Jaquan Johnson. Johnson's a little bit undersized. Uh, Redwine's a little bit broader, bigger of a safety. 
but lacks the instincts, lacks the athleticism. He's a thumper. He looks the part, but he just needs to work on the nuances and coverage down the field. Now, uh, Greedy Williams will get matched up with this Miami receiving core that's got a lot of talent, and uh, Amon Richards kind of leads the way there. He's going to be the true junior, very talented kid. He's got NFL size. He's quick. He's competitive. Just got to be more consistent at the catch point, got to be more consistent as a route runner. But they've got a lot of receivers there. You know, Richards was out for a good chunk of last season, so you got to see some of these other guys really kind of stepping in the limelight. Yeah, no question. Uh, My comparison right now for Amon Richards uh, is Calvin Ridley, who was a first-round receiver to the Atlanta Falcons from University of Alabama. Dynamic releases, releases, elite speed. He's a yak receiver. You just want to get him the ball. He's a vertical threat, double moves, can track the ball very well. Very inconsistent hands. I need to see him... uh, better in the contested cat situations and handling contact balance and those tight window throws. If he can improve that, I think he could really work into the first-round conversation. Yeah, and you have Jeff Thomas as a receiver there, Lawrence Cager, Darrell Langham was on the uh, Senior Bowl watch list that got released last week. He's a big boy, 6'4", 235. So uh, a lot of prospects, man. It's going uh, to be interesting to hear your feedback next week uh, coming off of those two games, and we'll see who you've got in week two. But uh, Ben will be back next week. Again, you can always go on Twitter. Check out Ben at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. Make sure you go and read this week's Saturday scouting article as well, which you can find on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app or on my Twitter feed at FDuffy3 sometime Friday afternoon. Keep an eye on that. So, all right, let's time to, it's time to wrap this podcast up. Let's get to some Q&A. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. All right, this week, Draft Mailbag, I went to Twitter. Got a couple of questions here. John Blair on Twitter first asked, biggest snubs when it came to not making the Senior Bowl watch list? Well, John, talked about it a little bit earlier with Tony, but let me give you a few names. I agreed with Tony about Malcolm Williams from Coastal Carolina. He's one of the small school guys that I've watched. I was pretty impressed with him as a route runner. Uh, I think he's got a, a good idea of how to create separation. I think when it's all said and done, he's going to end up in Mobile. I would, I would be surprised if he wasn't there. I'll throw another receiver into the bag. Olamide Zacchaeus from Virginia, UVA, undersla- undersized slot receiver, played some running back during his career, also a good kick returner. He's got some juice, second team All-ACC last year. He's from Philadelphia. He's probably a little bit more raw compared to Williams, but I think he'll either be in Mobile or at the East-West Shrine game. I'm not super high on this next kid, but he's going into his fourth year as a starter at center for Tulsa. And he's an undersized center. Chandler Miller, quick, smart, uses his hands well. Anchor strength is certainly an issue. His power off the ball in the run game is not where it needs to be, but I thought he was better than some of the other guys that were on that list. C.J. Mosley's little brother, Jamie Mosley with Alabama. He's a local kid from Mobile. Those t- guys typically get a little bit of a bump. He plays for Alabama, which under Phil Savage, when Phil Savage was running the Senior Bowl, those guys seem to get a bump. We'll see if that continues with Jim Nagy. But uh, Mosley's a tall, long, skinny guy for sure. But I think he could be a backup 3-4 outside linebacker when it's all said and done. I actually like him a little bit more for the next level than his teammate Christian Miller, who did make the list. Now, Probably the biggest one for me is New Mexico State linebacker Terrell Hanks. And if you want a sleeper at the position, I, I like this kid, Hanks. Uh, going into his fourth year as a starter, he's 6'2", 230 pounds. He's got long arms. He's athletic. He's got position versatility. He can play sideline to sideline. I watched him a couple of weeks ago. I thought he had starting traits. He needs to get stronger, and his technique as a tackler needs to improve. But I thought there was a lot to like. He's actually right now in my top five senior linebackers in this class. So I was a little shocked to not see him on the list. Uh, good question there to start things off. Wilton Houston on Twitter asks, 
Who do you think is the top running back right now? I would say, Wilton, that it's Damian Harris. I like Rodney Anderson as well from Oklahoma. He'd be a close second. But for me, I really like Damian Harris and what he brings to the table. I still have a few of these rising juniors like Justice Hill from Oklahoma State, uh, David Montgomery from Iowa State, Devin Singletary from FAU. I still got to get to those three guys, and I've heard good things about all of them. But to me right now, it's Damian Harris, number one, Rodney Anderson, number two. And Anderson, he's going to be a redshirt junior, so he actually has another year of eligibility after this one. I would throw L.J. Scott from Michigan State into that discussion as well as a potential starter down the road. He's a big, powerful runner. I like what I've seen from L.J. Scott as well. So uh, I would still, though, put Scott on a tier below those other two guys. I I, I think Harris and Anderson are one and two. Then you put Scott at number three. All right, non-Eagles question. Now, I'll always support these. So even if you're not an Eagles fan, you listen to the show, feel free. Ask a question. I'll make it on the podcast. Bay Area Sports Guy 85 asked on Twitter, the 49ers need a pass rusher. Who do you think fits them best? Well, let's just look back at the track record since Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch have taken over. First off, you've got defensive coordinator Robert Saleh. He's a uh, Pete Carroll guy. Focus there is on front four, aggressiveness, high motor guys. They want guys with length on the defensive line, particularly off the edge. Kyle Shanahan, the head coach, he's all about the tape. He's not a big measurables guy, doesn't necessarily care about height, weight, speed, and not a big athletic test score guy. Now, they've drafted players that have tested well, but I don't think it's for according to him, it's not a core, it's not because of the test scores. It's more about what he sees on film. So you want guys that show put off good tape. John Lynch, the general general manager, same way. He wants hyper physical players that fly around the football field. Look at the guys they've taken on defense the last two years. They took Fred Warner, the linebacker from BYU. He fits that description. Kentavia Street, the D-tackle from NC State, definitely fits the mold. DJ Reed, the corner this year from Kansas State, definitely fits that. Julian Taylor, the local kid from Temple, he played that way. Solomon Thomas, Reuben Foster, both of last year's first-rounders, they played that way. So you can see they're kind of setting a template. They have a type that they're looking for on defense. And one guy that we've talked a lot about on this podcast over the last few weeks is Jalen Jelks from Oregon. I think he 1,000% fits what they're looking for. Check all the boxes. Size, athletic ability, his play personality, his film is very good. It's all there to me in my eyes. Uh, and He would make a ton of sense for San Francisco. It would also be uh, kind of hilarious because it would be the third Oregon defensive lineman that they would take in the first round in the last five drafts if they went that route. Obviously, Arik Armstead and DeForest Buckner. But i throw Montez Sweat in there as well from Mississippi State. I think he's got some of those traits. But if you throw one of those guys, whether it's Jalen Jelks, Montez Sweat, on that same line as Buckner, uh, Solomon Thomas, potentially a guy like Contavious Street and Arik Armstead, yeah, good luck with that. That's one of the best young D-line groups in the league if you were to do that. So good question there. Uh, good questions from all three of you guys out there today. If you have any questions for this show, feel free. Hit me up on Twitter at FDuffy3 or head over to one of our podcast channels. Give us a rating. Leave the question in the comment section. Guarantee you it will make the show, and I appreciate the support as always. So great stuff from Tony Pauline, Ben Fennel, Chris Wilson, and all of you out there listening, whether you're on, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, or any of our podcast platforms. Thank you for listening, as always, to the Journey to the Draft podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.